this is Terry Waldo. The program is This is Ragtime, and this is the second program in our series. And I'd like to start off with a cut from our new album, which we hope will be coming out in the fall. This is the Gotham City Band with Tatiana Eva Marie. And this is Baby Won't You Please Come Home. Thank you. 
your little mama all alone I have tried in vain Never more to call your sweet sweet name When you left you broke my heart Because I never thought that we could part Every hour in a day you go You hear me say Baby won't you Wasn't that sweet? And in addition to Tatiana, the personnel on that album includes Mike Davis on trumpet, Ricky Alexander on clarinet, Jim Fryer on trombone, Jay Lepley is on drums, Nick Russo is on banjo and guitar, Brian Lepka is on the tuba, and of course I'm playing piano. We'd like to remind you that if you're enjoying this series of programs, there is a way that you can help support us and uh, defray the costs of producing this. When you hit on details on your podcast, there is a button that will allow you to support the broadcast. So uh, we do hope that you think about doing that. On today's program, I'd like to do a tribute to one of the greatest musicians who ever played traditional jazz, and a good friend of mine, Peter Eklund, who died on April 8th, a few weeks ago as we record this. I knew him from at least, oh, 1980-something like that. By that time, he'd already established his reputation as the go-to guy if you were doing anything in the way of traditional jazz or folk music or even rock and roll. He had recorded with David Bromberg, Bob Dylan, Jeff Moldauer, Maria Moldauer also, Bonnie Raitt, Loudon Wainwright, Greg Allman, The Grateful Dead. And when I came to New York officially about 1980, I think, I put together a band called the Gotham City Band. And Peter was the first guy that I put into the group. We made our first album in 1984. And the personnel on this particular recording was the all-stars of New York at that time. Peter Eklund played trumpet. The great Chuck Wilson was on clarinet and saxophone. Dan Barrett was playing trombone and doing arrangements for us. Howard Alden on guitar and banjo. Vince Giordano was on tuba, string bass, and bass sax on these recordings. Arnie Kinsella, who spent a lot of time playing with Garrison Keeler out in the Midwest, was our drummer. I'd like to play you the opening track on that album. This is called The Rhythm King.
The next album that we made with the Gotham City Band was in 1990, with some changes in personnel. All great guys. That band has always had the best guys there are. On trumpet, of course, is Peter Eklund. Dan Barrett is on trombone. Joe Moraney is on clarinet and saxophone. Howard Alden on banjo. Hal Smith, who had played with traditional jazz bands all over the country, was on drums. Mike Walbridge on tuba. A great ensemble. And the first cut that we'll play from those recording sessions is Ball and the Jack, and it features Leon Redbone on the vocal. Here is a instrumental number from the same album, Footlight Varieties, and I want you to notice Peter Eklund playing a completely different style from the previous tunes that we heard. He was more or less imitating Bubber Miley on these cuts, and Bubber played on the original Jelly Roll Morton recordings of a tune called Fussy Mabel, which was written by Jelly Roll Morton. Thank you. 
To finish our tribute to Peter Eklund, who died from Parkinson's disease a few weeks ago, we're going to play a cut from an album we did in 9-11, if you remember 2001, uh, when the buildings went down and we put together a recording session at that time. We had recorded one day when the buildings were knocked down by the airplanes in New York. We managed to get to the studio the following day and then record some more stuff. And I can't remember if this was the first day or the day after the, the buildings went down. But we had Janet Klein, who sings in Los Angeles and has put out many great albums. And she was with us for one track. And this is called Happy Feet. And the first track we played today was called Rhythm King, which was associated with Bix Beiderbeck and Paul Whiteman. And Happy Feet was also associated with Paul Whiteman and Bix Beiderbeck from the great film The King of Jazz, which they made in the early 30s. This personnel consists of Peter Eklund on trumpet. Dan Levinson was playing clarinet with us. I'm on piano, of course. Craig Ventresco was playing banjo. Tom Marion was playing guitar. Paul Monnet is on tuba. Pete Devine on washboard and drums. And, of course, Janet Klein is on the vocal. When you find that your mind keeps you worried and blue, you can always let your feet keep your disposition sweet. Wanna see what makes me feel the way I do? Will you kindly cast an eye on two good reasons why? Happy feet.
We continue playing radio shows that I did in 1972, which was also called This Is Ragtime, and it played on the NPR stations for, I think, four years, maybe. This is the second program in the series, and it's dedicated to the roots of ragtime. This is Ragtime. I'm Terry Waldo, and on this, the second program in our series, we're going to be exploring the roots of ragtime. If you recall, in our last program, we attempted to define ragtime and give a general overview of the various kinds of ragtime. And this week, we're going to tackle the more difficult task of trying to figure out where this music came from. And we've got a real problem on our hands. Suddenly, around 1897, the first published rags appeared on the scene, and the ragtime era was in full swing. And these first rags that we know of were a very sophisticated and highly developed form of music. And the question is, how did they develop? Let's listen to Scott Joplin's first rag. This was published in 1899. This is a mechanically cut piano roll of Joplin's original rags.
have great reason to believe that ragtime music was around for a long time before the ragtime era as we know it. But we don't see much evidence of the syncopation of ragtime in published music until at least the 1890s. And of course we have no recordings to go back to, and there's hardly anyone alive who can recall the music from that time. So we still have the great question of ragtime. What was happening in the, say, 50 years before the formal emergence of ragtime in the 1890s? We talk with the grand old man of ragtime, Yubi Blake, who was 90 at the time of this recording, about his first contact with ragtime. People ask me where the word ragtime comes from. I don't know. Because when I was a kid, I took music lessons. I was six years old. Took lessons from uh, a colored girl that played in the churches. I talk loud all the time, so you have to. I can't tell how loud I'm talking. And uh, it had a music. Oh, hell, I don't like that. And I play the same thing in ragtime. My way of playing ragtime. I heard the bands. They go to the funeral. Dum dum da dum. Dum, da dum, 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 da dum. Now the same band come back from the field. Young, ya da da da, da 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 Played ragtime. So that's what I heard over that. So I didn't like the way the music. I couldn't stand it. And I played. So my mother came in from work. See? And what she's doing in that early, I, I, today I never know. They've got an organ. Colored people didn't have no pianos, and only one, one or two colored people had pianos. The organ, an organ. And I'm playing the organ. And she says, Take that ragtime out of my house. I guess I was around seven or eight years old. It's the first time I ever heard the word ragtime. I didn't even know what the heck she was talking about. See? Take that ragtime out of my house. Don't you be playing that in my house. Now, if Yubi's memory is correct, that places the word ragtime in common usage by 1890. And we have a pretty good idea that the music was being played by bands and traveling musicians of various sorts by that time. Now, we know that ragtime music was the product of the black man's experience in this country, and so the roots of ragtime probably extend back to Africa. Bob Wright, an extraordinary piano player from Chicago, has done a great deal of anthropological research in this area, and we have some of his comments on that subject. Bob was interviewed for NPR by Dick Molding. Well, ragtime is the only music in America which can be found to have an African counterpart. Most of the African music didn't come to America at all, in my experience of listening to this music on uh, recordings. But ragtime is the one type of music in America which is quite a prevalent style of playing instrumental music in West African countries for many centuries. Are uh, you saying then that blues is not a traditional... Well, a certain form of blues was played as court music to the Egyptian pharaohs, but it's not exactly the same kind of thing, and it's not a particularly prevalent style throughout the continent. Why don't we start out with a, a rag with African origins? Well, I'll, I'll try this one too, and I don't remember it too well, but I'll, I'll attempt to play it.
tune. Now, that was an authentic African piece. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a medieval piece from about the 10th century of Timbuktu, and it's a part of the Malian Empire. The Negro history books, uh, which I've read many, are sadly lacking in any information about uh, instrumental ragtime music. They deal primarily with Broadway show composers like Will Marion Cook and uh, Bob Cole, and they completely ignore the St. Louis... Uh, uh, Nashville, Detroit composers, all the same cities that uh, are now famous places for rock and pop music were also the ragtime centers in the past. Now apparently the African rhythmic concepts were maintained in the Negro dances and music in this country. And we now have good evidence to suggest that the early ragtime players, mainly itinerant musicians playing where they could in saloons, whorehouses, and so on, these musicians were probably playing music that was closer in origin to African music than that of the later more formal composers, such as Scott Joplin. And the evidence suggests that in the early days, ragtime had more rhythmic complexity, which it lost as it gained harmonic complexity in the hands of the composers such as Joplin. And there's a very interesting composer and pianist who gives us some interesting insight into the early ragtime, and that's Blind Boone. Boone was a black musical genius who, although born as a slave, began a concert career in the 1870s. He had a well-rounded classical training, but he also spent some time in the back alley dives of St. Louis, absorbing the low-down piano and banjo music of the area. And some of these ragtime influences appeared in his highly successful concerts, along with the legitimate sonatas and hymns. Around 1916, Boone, in his retirement, recorded several hand-played piano rolls, and these have to be considered a marvel. They're folk tunes played in a ragtime style, but a style so rhythmically complex as to be impossible to notate accurately. Now, Boone was known for his ability to imitate on piano nearly anything that he heard, and so these roles in all likelihood are probably the way he heard ragtime in the back alleys of St. Louis around the 1870s. One of the roles was even subtitled Strains from the Alley, and I'm going to play one of Boone's roles for you from the collection of Traber Tishner. This is titled Camp Meeting Medley. They might think that the player piano is off somehow, but if you count out the rhythm, it all comes out even, so it's working properly. Notice the similarity between this and the African rag that Bob Wright played for us. <laughs>
There's at least one theory that the music of the banjo, an instrument of African origin, influenced the early rag composers. However, since there was no recording of the banjo players before 1890, we really don't know what they sounded like. One possible clue is in the music of white American composer Louis Moreau Gottschalk, and he wrote a number of compositions that were based on American Negro music as he heard it around the middle of the 19th century. And I'd like to play some of this for you. The first composition, dating from 1855, is a number called the banjo. Then we'll also hear excerpts from several of his other compositions. These are performed by Eugene List.
banjo was, of course, an important instrument in minstrel shows. And I think it's important that we take a brief look at the history of these minstrel shows right now. This was the first truly American form of entertainment. The shows began to appear in the 1840s, and they usually presented whites doing stereotyped imitations of blacks. Now, of course, minstrel shows perpetuated the racist stereotypes, and later when blacks themselves became involved in minstrel shows, they had to portray caricatures of themselves. I've been trying to find a recording that might give an idea of what the music sounded like from these shows. We have a general idea that was probably raggy in nature. I have one recording by a group called the Seven Musical Magpies, listed on the label as Colored Musical Comedians with banjo and piano. Now, I can't say for certain, but it's possible this group might be a throwback, if you will, to the earlier minstrel shows. And this is called The Laughing Song. step of the minstrel shows was the cakewalk. Now, the cakewalk was originally performed in pre-Civil War days by Negro slaves who were caricaturing the European dances done by their masters. Then the dance was picked up by whites and used in the minstrel shows as a caricature of the blacks. Later, as blacks became involved in minstrel shows, they did the cakewalk, which was by then a part of the minstrel tradition. So finally, we have blacks imitating whites who were imitating blacks 
who were imitating whites. At any rate, the cakewalk, with its two beats, strutting, high-kicking steps, swept the nation and ushered in the ragtime at the beginning of the 1890s, especially after it was introduced in the 1893 Columbian World's Fair Exposition in Chicago. The word ragtime had not yet appeared on sheet music, but the raggy cakewalks had everything but the name. Popularized by bands such as John Philip Sousa, the cakewalk became the rage all over the U.S. and Europe. Here's one of a series of cakewalks and two steps written for band that featured trombone. This is Henry Fillmore, and it's called Teddy Trombone, and it's played for us by Professor Albert White and the Gaslight Symphony Orchestra. just a matter of time before someone would publish the first rag. The word was in use long before it appeared on sheet music, and there was a rush to see who would publish the first one. It turned out to be a fine rag by a white band leader, William Krell. It was the Mississippi Rag, and it was published in 1897. Here it is, as performed by Turk Murphy and his jazz band.
So that takes us up to the beginning of the ragtime era. And on our next program, we'll begin exploring the music of the various ragtime composers, beginning with the king of ragtime, Scott Joplin. This is Ragtime was produced, written, and narrated by Terry Waldo and directed by Jeff Mill. Audio engineer, Bob Robinson. This program was produced at the Ohio University Telecommunications Center with funds provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is NPR, National Public Radio.